Cool. So I'm going to start off our talk tonight just sharing a little bit about my past. Something that I'm not the most excited about, but I think some of my friends think is kind of funny. It is what I call my car curse. <laughs> the people that are laughing know how true this thing is uh, about me. So basically, what I mean by my car curse is that I've lived here for eight and a half years, moved here in June 2014 from Texas, and since then, I've gone through five cars. Five cars in eight and a half years. We're on our sixth, actually. Um, so it's technically six cars in eight and a half years. But basically, I moved up here with an Xterra. I got in June 2014. And then in July 2014, I ran into a pole. My Xterra died. A few months later, I got a Blazer. One of my roommates said it was an ugly car. So I guess it was so ugly, it had to be T-boned in August of 2016, a year later. Then it was the 4Runner, my favorite car that I've had. It, sun it had a sunroof. It had a, the, the rear window came down. It was, like, perfect for, like, any sunny day like today. I was really missing it today. Raynan has a Toyota Tacoma. It's basically the same car, except the back is not enclosed. He's biased towards Tacoma's. Forerunners are better. It's, it's fine. Um, but anyways, that car was amazing, but I bought it in Ohio where they don't have mandated state inspections for your vehicles. So when I took it to get inspected a year later, they found a hole in the frame, and therefore it was totaled. So I sold that car in April 2020. Uh, 2020. Then we had a Tahoe I got from my parents. Great car. Only had it for about a year. We sold it so that we could go down to one car. So not super a sad story, except it was in our family for 15 years. And then I got a hold of it, and then it left our family a year later. <laughs> then we had an Impreza. Huh? It did go towards missions. That's right. So it's a good cause. <laughs> it gave its life for missions. <laughs> um, and then we had an Impreza, which we had until about three months ago. Grace actually had this car. I married into this car. And... Um, well, let's just say in November, about six lights came on at once, and after eight years of Grace having it and three years of us being married, it died. So we sold that car, and then we got a Sorrento, which we still have no major issues yet. So y'all pray for me. Hopefully the Sorrento will, will live on for many years. But with our Sorrento, I'm going to tell a story that will hopefully lead us into our talk for tonight. And... Um, so over Christmas break, um, we were supposed to fly to Houston. And what happened was our flight got canceled. So long story short, we just decided to drive because why not? It's just 20 hours. We've done it a few times, so it like wasn't that big of a deal. So we hop in the car. First day was fine. Second day, we're about an hour into the drive, and it's like, like four hours left at this point. And um, we hear this huge noise that sounds like a rock like hit our windshield. And guess what happened? A rock hit our windshield. Exactly. And so um, what happened was there was like this big old vehicle in front of us and the rock flew off of it, hit our windshield, made a crack or like a, a, a chip about this big. And um, it, you know, just I, I obviously got upset immediately because who wants a rock to hit your windshield? And with all of my history of, like, car issues, I was like, it was just kind of hopeless because I was like, why every single time we get a new car, like, something like this happens. 
Luckily, we set up insurance the day before on our drive, thanks to Progressive, and we had comprehensive, which means, huh? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, sorry. Uh, it covers like rocks hitting your windshield, and so it was completely covered by insur insurance. So thank you, Jesus. But also, the better news is that it got me thinking about what we're talking about tonight. Basically, when I got super upset when the rock hit our windshield, it just made me think like, like, I kind of reacted like just outlandishly. I, I like ranted to Grace for like two minutes about why it was the worst thing in the world. And obviously it's like we want to take good care of it and it's a car so it's really valuable. But at the same time, like, it just kind of seemed like I might have valued it too much if it like caused that reaction within me. Um, and so I just kind of started wondering like, can I value something too much? Um, and is there a difference between like stewarding something well and like valuing it too much or like treasuring it? Um, and so tonight we're going to talk about some of that stuff. We're going to talk about treasure. So when I say treasure, um, I mean things that like we've invested a lot into. Um, something, I I'm not talking about like a person because like we treasure relationships and I think we should because like they're a part of walking with God and, and with each other. And so I'm, I'm more talking about like an object or an activity, something that like we've invested a lot into. And it's not so much something that costs a ton, but it's something that like means a lot to us because of how much we've invested it. And because when we invest something, like a lot of stuff into something, it like does what I said. I think it becomes something that we begin to treasure. It's something we, must, we, we most love spending time doing, something we've invested a ton of time and money into, and that we don't even think twice about spending more money or time on. It's something we try to talk others into enjoying, and at the same time, couldn't care less if anyone else enjoyed it, because we're happy as long as we have it. We will fight for it, protect it, take risks on it. It's something we would miss and probably be sad about if it was taken from us. And that we would take up again in a heartbeat if it had, if we had to do it all over. I'm not being philosophical or metaphorical either. I think this is a real part of life. I think everyone, everywhere, ever has had a treasure. I think it's like in us to want to treasure something. Maybe it changes over time, like when we move, get older, hang out with different people, or just get into different things. And maybe it was like, N not necessarily like I'm going to start treasuring this thing, but it just kind of happened like almost accidentally over time as we like started to put more and more value into it. Are y'all tracking with me? Okay, cool. And so for me, like with the car, it was like definitely something I was upset about, but I think something that I more so treasured, um, <laughs> y'all are going to laugh at this, is, uh, is being on drumline. Maybe you won't laugh at that, but you'll laugh at this picture. So that was me uh, freshman year, fall of, freshman year of high school, yes, not college. Um, that was my high school, that was at my high school, Stratford High School, we were the Spartans. We stole the uh, Michigan State logo, I'm pretty sure, because they're the Spartans, yeah. And um, I, I, loved, I loved Drumline, though. Um, I was on it three years um, in high school, and it was, it was really great. 
Um, I poured so much of my life into it, so much of my time. I loved it so much. I looked forward to it every single day, every single year. I hated concert band. I thought it was the worst thing in the world. It was pointless. It didn't matter. Our band director hated the drums anyways, and so he like treated us like trash. And so Drumline was like where it's at. Heather's shaking her head. We actually went to the same high school, Heather and I. And uh, she was in Color Guard. So, yeah, maybe she still has her rifle and she can show you her little spins. And, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I lost a lot of like my Drumline skills and everything. It's nice to play drums here, but Drumline was another deal. I, I, was, I was like in love with it. It made my high school, like some people talk terrible about their high school experience. I loved it and it was mainly because of Drumline. And honestly what happened was like, like I said, this was like something I treasured in high school, like what I was just describing. And um, it actually kind of became part of my identity. Um, like, not just like I was a drumline guy, but like people knew me, other people at the school knew me for that, right? It's like, oh, hey, you're like the short guy on drumline. Oh, hey, you're like the short Afro guy on the drumline. Oh, hey, you're on the drumline. It was like what people knew me as. And I, I was like excited about it, like because I loved it so much. And so it's just kind of crazy to think like do any of you guys have something that like that that was kind of like that for you where it was like something you treasured yes what was it soccer okay what else the short asian trombone girl anything else what else <laughs> do what lee trumpet okay so like some famous people here, especially short Asian girl over here, right? But the Asian trombone girl, but these are things that, like, we weren't, like, upset about, right? It was, like, I was, like, proud to be the drumline guy, and, like, it was, I don't know, when we treasure it, it, like, affects, like, who we are. Like, our heart follows, and then, like, so does, like, our identity. Like, it becomes, like, a part of who we are. And I think, honestly, we're on a search for treasure a lot, and I think that's why we love some of these treasure hunters like Captain Jack Sparrow, right? Who doesn't love Captain Jack Sparrow? I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of a jerk. He's like one of, favorite Sean's, fun, one of Sean's favorite people, always in search for his beloved black pearl ship, right? What happens though? Every time he gets it, he loses it again. And then the next, they make a net, another movie so, you know, Hollywood can make more money. And then he goes and has to find it again. Or maybe like this hunk, Indiana Jones, who's in search of the world's most ancient and valued treasures, right? He's like a treasure hunter. We like always want to see him win and uh, see him with a shirt off, at least. Yeah, Charles does. And it's awesome. He's like so exciting stories. Or maybe someone else, like this guy Loki, who isn't the most likable guy, but he's in search of what? The Tesseract. So that he can basically do whatever he wants, be wherever he wants, do whatever he wants, have the most power in the Marvel comic universe. And even someone like Loki, and with these other two guys too, if, even if they're not the most likable people, we still want to see them find their treasure, right? Because we want to find our treasure. And so it's something within us, right? These are like why we're drawn to these stories. So, told you a second ago, tell you again. If you haven't figured it out, we're talking about treasure tonight. So we're going to see what Jesus says about treasure because I think 
some, it's a big deal. We spent a lot of time and money on it. And what our treasure is will have a big impact on what our life looks like. So this is what Jesus says. In Matthew six nineteen through 21, Jesus says this to his disciples. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Good stuff. Smart guy. I'm going to pray and then we'll dig into this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you spoke to us about things that matter to you and that matter to us. Lord, I just ask that you would help us see the reality, the truth, um, yeah, just the pertency um, of of this um, scripture and, and, and what it means in our lives, in our friends' lives, in the lives of this campus. We love you, Lord. Speak through me. In your name we pray. Amen. So what does Jesus tell us to do with our treasure? Store it up, right? Store it up in heaven. What does he tell us to not do with it? Store it up on earth. Why? Well, he says the first reason is because on earth there are things that can destroy them and steal them, and in heaven there aren't. Jesus used moth and rust to talk about being destroyed because two, they were two of, the most, because two of the most valuable materials in that day were different types of fabrics and metals, things that moths could eat and rust to, could decay. It was also common for people to hide their most valuable belongings and savings not in banks or safes but underground in a field where thieves could dig around and steal it, right? Moths, rust, and thieves don't give a crap about nobody, just like that rock did not give a crap about our windshield. It hit us and then went on its merry way. So um, it's, it's just good to listen to Jesus on this one. There's no moths, there's no rust, there's no thieves up in heaven. Everyone's got their own stuff, so no one's got to steal anything because they've been storing it up for their whole lives, right? So we ain't got to worry about that. But why else does he say to store them up in heaven and not on earth? We kind of talked about it. Because, our tre- because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. Jesus said this. Jesus knows how all of life works. So when Jesus says where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, it's a certain fact of life. It's not like a metaphor. Like it actually is true. Like in all situations. Your heart doesn't first determine your treasure but follows it. Your treasure determines where your heart will be. If you begin to treasure something, Your heart will follow good or bad. It's not where it might be, but where it will be. If and when we make something our treasure, our heart will follow, and that thing will also be our master. Because whatever we love most dictates a lot of what we do. Our hearts were made to be loyal to God. If they aren't loyal to God, they will find something else to be loyal to, and that loyalty will be strong. What we love most dictates who we are and where we're headed. That's pretty crazy. 
Jesus knew what he was talking about. So some things we might treasure. Right, we talked about a couple of them, but for us here in Morgantown, it might be school. It might be your job or family or relationships. It might be food, sleep, hobbies, media. No joke. These things matter to us a lot sometimes. It might be our feelings or our opinions or our horoscope. Some of you, may, I don't know. Or, or our sense of humor, right? It might be money, hopes, dreams, or our reputation. So none of these things are like, like most of them at least, I don't know about horoscope. Uh, most of these things aren't like inherently evil or wicked things, right? I mean like, like a life with a lot of these things is like actually really great. Um, but what happens is that um, if they're our treasure, we will seek after them and we will not be satisfied. Because we are created to live for eternity. And so if there are things that won't last that long, which nothing else besides Jesus will, then it will never satisfy completely. And we'll be on this ongoing chase, just like these guys in these movies, to have more and more and more and more and more. And we'll exhaust ourselves trying to gain for ourselves like these treasures on earth that will eventually just get destroyed and stolen at the end, right? Sounds pretty miserable to me, honestly. What C.S. Lewis says about this is that if I find in this world nothing that can truly satisfy, then I must conclude I was made for another. So I don't know what you believe about, you know, life after death, but if you just give some some thought to that truth, I think um, it could it could lead you to seeing that I think we were created for for eternity. And like I said, it's not that any of these are inherently wrong or wicked, but if we haven't given them some th- given them to God to take care of, then we're the ones trying to keep them safe, and we are trying to be our own master. In searching for these things with good motives or bad. We trade relationship with God for temporary satisfaction. See, the devil doesn't need us to worship the devil in order for us to not worship God. We've got so much stuff in America, in our lives, that as long as he can distract us and, we, and he can get us to spend our time on other things besides walking with God, then he's won. He has what he wants which is our allegiance to not be to God. And I'm not saying that I think the devil is behind every time, you know, like you watch Netflix instead of pray or something like that, you know. Um, but I, I, I do think that, like, yeah, we're, we're giving him an easy win if, if we're just, like, allowing ourselves to, um, I'm not saying any time at all. I'm saying, like, treasuring these things. And we'll get more to, like, how to, like, figure that out later. But, um. This isn't something that just started with us or like our generation of the last one or 200 years or 1,000 or 2,000 years. I think it's been this way since almost the beginning. In the beginning, God made the universe and the world with all the plants and animals, and lastly, he made Adam and Eve. He tells them to fill the earth and rule over it and that they can eat from any plant that has seeds in it except one. God gives Adam and Eve food, a beautiful world to live in, 
and the authority and help to rule over it. But what happens? We see in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That's bad. Food, beauty, and wisdom. There was plenty of this in the garden. We were made to want these. And what did Adam and Eve want? They wanted to get those things themselves, their own way. They believed the lie that they could have the things God hoped for them to have in a way other than what was good for them. In their disobedience, Adam and Eve chose temporary versions of these over obedience to God and his blessings. In doing so, they sold themselves and forfeited the world to the devil, becoming a slave in a tattered world. They now had to work with toil instead of receiving them in abundance from God. And now Adam and Eve aren't mainly known as the first two people. They're known for eating the fruit. Globally, no one says, oh, they're the first two people. People say, Adam and Eve, oh, they ate the fruit. Their treasure became their identity. So what happened? God kicks them out of the garden, keeping them from being able to eat the fruit from the tree of life, which I believe would have kept them in that state and be stuck in their sinful state for all of eternity, now seeing their sin but being unable to do anything about it. They had what they thought they wanted, but now we're without Jesus. This, my friends, is hell. Hell is when you have everything but Jesus. It's what Adam and Eve had after they ate the fruit, and it's what we have when we choose other things over him. And being stuck in this hell on earth, unable to save ourselves, something had to be done. Let's look at a parable to see our way out. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46, this is Jesus telling a parable again to his disciples. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I was originally going to preach on this parable and how we must give everything to follow Jesus, but that's not actually what this parable is about. If you study a little bit, you'll see that although it's true that we must give everything to follow Jesus, this parable is about a different reality of the kingdom of God. This parable is about Jesus, one who had everything he needed everything he could ever want, a perfect reality in heaven, his home, an unbroken relationship with the Father and the Spirit, but who gave everything to buy just one thing, you. Jesus looked around in his home along with the Father and the Holy Spirit and realized something was missing. What was missing was his treasure. And so, with all the force of love and determination, he put on flesh, identified himself as one of us. We who have chased after and fought to fill our lives with everything but him, and he chased and fought for us to be with him. 
In Romans 5, 6 through 8, it also says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even as we chose other things over Jesus, Jesus sold all he had to buy us back from the devil, who we had sold ourselves to in the first place. Jesus shed blood, sweat, and tears for each of us for this campus and this world, and he was happy to do so. It says, he sold it all with joy to buy the treasure. Charles shared this verse with us last rally, Hebrews 12, 2. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's like a mic drop. When you go make a big play, and then you just sit down afterwards, it's like you did it. Like, sitting down is like kind of a sign of, like, victory, I'm done. I beat everybody. (laughs) And Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His treasure was you and I. His eyes were on his prize, and his service was to his Father. He gave everything he had, including dying on a cross, a criminal's death, the one we were supposed to die, the one we chose time and time again to have our pathetic, worthless treasures for all of eternity and a world without him, a world without his love, his goodness, his kindness, his patience, his mercy, his care, his wisdom, his beauty, his unmatched value in all the world in all the universe, in all the ages, in all of time and eternity. How foolish are we to ever even ponder that any other treasure is worth even an ounce of what we could have if we have him, just him. He is most wonderful. He is most satisfying. He is most beautiful. With him, we are most knowing of what is good and care nothing to know of what is evil. Now, What is Jesus known for? I would say the main thing Jesus is known for around the globe is that he died on a cross. His treasure led to his identity. We can trust Jesus with our treasure because Jesus trusted the Father to provide for him. Jesus is the only one who can assure us we'll be taken care of. He's the only one who can give us a better life than we could ever make for ourselves. And will make the things in our lives better when we trust him with them. Jesus is the best master we could have. He's the only one we can invest in and get everything back. Jesus is the only one who can take care of our hearts perfectly. So the awesome thing is that Jesus bought us back. He made relationship with the Father possible again. When we were going after these treasures and spitting on him and... and just choosing other, other things over him time and time again, he, he bought us back. The truth is that the field and the world rightfully belong to he who purchased them in the story. But unlike the treasure and the pearl, you and I must choose whether we will make him our master. And what will it take to allow ourselves to be his? What it will cost us is the same that it cost him. Everything. It cost Jesus everything, and it cost us everything too. God has already given himself entirely to gain us. It's our turn. 
We must do to gain him only what he has already done to gain us. And we give all of ourselves, we get all of Jesus. Not what Jesus can get us, but Jesus himself. It's not just to serve God, but to know him and to be in a relationship with him. To serve a God, to need a God, to worship a God is common. To know him personally in a relationship is unheard of. To know him is possible only through Jesus. And it's actually miserable to try and live in a relationship with God while also holding on to some stuff. It's kind for him to tell us we must give up everything. Because how can you be in a relationship with someone so perfect and holy and be holding on to stuff that, like, if we have it, we're just going to be miserable because it, they, don't, they don't coincide. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, they were unable to be in a relationship with God anymore in the same way because they had sinned. They had different treasures. The same thing is true with us. He is kind to ask and command that we give everything to him. And it's also a command to store up our treasures in heaven with Jesus. It's not just good advice from a guy who's been around the block a, a few thousand years and he, and he knows some stuff. This really hit me. When he says store up your treasures in heaven, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that sounds good. Like not on earth. Like, oh, yeah, I can, I can, see, I can see that. It's a command. And so if there's anything that we're holding on to, like, that's actually disobedience. And, and this was really big for me to see um, because I, I definitely can feel like there's, wouldn't have to take but a couple, a couple minutes to think of maybe a few things that I haven't, like, completely given to Jesus and stored up in heaven. And as always with commands... With God's commands, they aren't just because he said so, but because it's best for us. If we make our treasure in Jesus, if we make our treasure Jesus, we can make our treasure his treasure as well, which is others. God is worth far more than any one of us could ever give to gain him. None of these things that we looked at, these careers, personality traits, different experiences that we've had, anything that, you know, like is something that we, we really do love. And um, I think it's very natural to do so, to treasure, treasure these things. None of them, when held up next to the goodness, the beauty, the love, the faithfulness of God, would we ever think to hold on to it if we knew it could keep us from gaining him. The question isn't whether the treasure is worth it but how able we are to see its worth. So just as we're thinking about, you know, maybe some of these things that I'm, I'm treasuring, I just wanted to give you guys a few questions to ask yourselves about some of your treasures. Have I ever asked God to take care of this thing? Have I ever asked God what he thinks about it? Does this thing keep me from having right relationship with God? And does this thing keep me from, from having right relationship with others? 
most of the stuff in our lives, if, you know, we're trying to be decent people and even devoted to God, especially, hopefully we don't have a ton of, like, really wicked things in our lives at the moment. And I don't think that Jesus is necessarily talking about really wicked things. Sean preached uh, at the beginning of last semester about laying down rights. And a lot of times rights that we have are like things that we hold on to that we like won't budge. And they're like very maybe more obviously come against like lordship of Jesus. But these treasures are just as dangerous and they can keep us from God. And so I'm not saying like, hey, only think of the bad things that you like. I'm thinking about everything that you love. These few things that you really treasure. They, they, can, they can keep you from having the fullness of relationship with God and, and the byproducts of it. Looking like him, being like him, loving others well, and just being a holy person like he created us to be. So I encourage you guys to ask yourselves these questions about um, the things that you love. And this is awesome, guys. The truth is where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So if we start doing these things with our treasures, our heart will follow. And we will start to love Jesus more and more and more. The more that our treasures are with him, the more that we will love him and want to treasure what he treasures. And that's exciting stuff. It's not this like, man, like, I don't know. When I, when I was looking up what that other parable meant about the treasure hidden in the field, one of the things that it said about like in, in line with how it actually represents Jesus um, being the one that sold everything and buying the field was that there's so much attention put on like, like how great it is that we give up everything to follow Jesus. And that's so like man-centered. Like it, it's, not even, um, it's not even a point of like comment if we're like actually thinking about the good, like everything about God, like to boast about what I gave for him is like ridiculous. Um, and so this is, this is such a great opportunity to just give everything to him and, and, and be all that he, he wants us to be. And what's also cool is that it doesn't just impact us. It impacts other people. What if we spend our life and all that makes it up to, to know God and to make him known, to put our treasure with him. We can be a part of Jesus gaining the treasure he gave everything for. Jesus bought not just you and I, he bought other people, other people on this campus who need him and whose treasure he is not. We can show others the treasure we found in Jesus. That's how you know someone finds something amazing or gets something amazing. Like, they can't shut up about it. Like, have, have, are we difficult to be shut up about the things that we love? Most people want me to shut up a lot of times because I talk a lot. And a lot of times it's about the things that I love. Are we doing that with Jesus? Am I doing that with Jesus? If not, I want to start doing that. And if my heart's not there, then I want it to be. Everyone on this campus is searching to be filled, prove their worth, and be trusted with authority. They want to treasure something. 
and Jesus bought the campus along with us and the world back. And I think in this room, everyone being a mountaineer, there's like something special about mountaineers. Mountaineers are good at being completely devoted to whatever they love. Very few mountaineers just want B's or C's. Very few mountaineers want to only be in one club. I don't know why. Very few mountaineers want to go to just one or two football or basketball games. Very few mountaineers just have a few beers. They were having some today. Very few mountaineers smoke just once or twice. I mean, I'm not saying these things are good, but these are mountaineers just going all in on whatever they love. Most mountaineers will take over the world in some way or another. You guys may not think that about yourself, but it is true. Most mountaineers will be known among their friends for one thing or another. Most mountaineers will be sold out entirely to one thing or another. The people who will change the world are right here in this room. How the world will be changed is up to us. What if we binge the Bible? Just read through it, like super fast. Sean and a few others read through it in 90 days last semester. That's pretty quick. Do it faster. <laughs> One of him. Do it in 89 and a half. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Do it with a friend, too. What if we pu pulled all-nighters in worship, prayer, or conversations about Jesus? What if we knew scripture like we knew actors, artists, and athletes? What if we worshiped at rally like we cheered at football and basketball games? What if we worked out and ate well to be good stewards of our bodies rather than just to look good? What if our friendships and relationships were to glorify God and not just our common interests? If we did any of these things, we would probably change quite a bit and people would know us not for the clothes that we wear or our major or where we're from or anything like that, which there's nothing wrong with knowing people for that, but they would know us for Marley really loves Jesus. Silas really loves Jesus. Virginia really loves Jesus. First impressions, what are they left with? How we're dressed, like what we smell like, the things that we like, or are they going to be left with our love for Jesus, even on our first impression. Our identity will be based off of what we treasure most. What do we want to be known for? I want to be known for loving Jesus and for treasuring him most. If they made a movie about me, I hope that would be the central component of my life. There's a lot of potential with this, guys. If we really start to, to treasure Jesus, to store up our treasures with him, and maybe think of some treasures that we can't have if we want to be in a relationship with him, then uh, it, it, it would change some stuff, not just with us, but in our community here in Chi Alpha, this campus, when y'all graduate and go on to get jobs and get married. It could change the world. 
Band, y'all can come up. I want to give you guys some, uh, just some things to think about, maybe pray through while worship is going and, and over the next week or two as well. I think there's three responses to these truths. Are y'all doing good? This is, this is awesome stuff. I've been changed by it even the last couple weeks I've been working on it. But depending on where you're at, I think that'll like determine the next step for you out of these three. The first one is to give everything to gain Jesus. If you haven't done this yet, if you haven't surrendered complete um, all of your life to Jesus, then you need to start here. I don't think things can progress very far un- until you first do this. Surrender all to him. Look for his worth in his word. If it's like, man, I don't know if he's worth this treasure or my entire life. Spend time reading his word and with people who love him so that your eyes can see and your your mind and your heart can know how good he is and how worth it it is to give him everything. Spend time in prayer. Just talk to him about, you know, your your holdups or, or different things that like you're still thinking through. And over time, like, I think, I think you'll see his worth and, and not doubt that he's, he's worth giving everything for. Or maybe you've, you know, given everything to Jesus, you're in a relationship with him, but uh, you got a few things you're holding on to. Maybe you started to treasure something a little bit more than you did before, and uh, you need to surrender that to Jesus as well. So here's some questions regarding your treasure. What is my treasure? Where is it stored? Ask yourself this. Have your friends ask you, or ask your friends um, what, they, what they would say your treasure is or your, some of your treasures. They'll tell you because you talk about them and you, and you spend time on them and, and you spend money on them. Ask your friends these two questions. Sit with Jesus. Just ask him. And trust the process. Maybe you feel like you really love God, but you're just like, man, my heart is not in it. I don't know why. There's nothing stirring within me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you be... If you continue to give your treasure to him, your heart will follow, guaranteed. Be encouraged. If you're there, that will happen. And thirdly, maybe you've done these two, you're working on the second. You can participate in the search. Jesus sold everything to buy the treasure and the pearl. There's more treasures out there that he wants who have not said yes to him. Go and tell them how much he's worth what he's done in your life. Tell of what he's given for you, his life and his death on the cross and everything since then and everything in your life. When you surrender to him all of your stuff, tell of how free you are with your treasures with him. And then sit with Jesus somewhere and pray. I was going to work on this sermon this morning and I was driving through like, like, in front of the lair right when like classes are getting out and usually I'd like be upset because traffic and uh 
But honestly, I was like thinking about this stuff and I like basically was like on the verge of tears because I'm thinking about where all of these other students' treasures are and how their treasures are keeping them from being in relationship with God. So in, as you participate in Jesus' search to have these treasures, sit somewhere in the lair. Sit where we have booth downtown or in the crossing or, you know, medical, wherever you guys are, like a lot. Just sit there and pray and think about where their treasures might be and think about how Jesus gave everything to have them and begin to pray for them that they would see, that they would desire that, that Jesus would be their treasure. And then once you gain the courage because you're crying and, you know, you see how good God is, then you can go talk to them and, uh, and tell them about Jesus. So I wanted to end on a story, um, something in my life recently, and uh, you can play whenever you want, honestly. You don't have to, yeah, shred, shred on it. Um, this, is a, this is also kind of like a, it's like a, it's like a tragic story with a great ending. So um, when I was eight years old, I prayed with my mom to give my life to Jesus, at the time, what I understood about walking with God was that I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to go to heaven. So I believe that's what God saved me from and into. And not just when I died, but since that day on. As I look back on my life, I can honestly say that Jesus has taken so, so, so good care of me and he's shown me and taught me how to live a life free of the hell that I'd be in if I chose myself over him. It's not that I never experienced any hurt or, flaw, or I was flawless in everything I did, but my life, my treasures were in him, and so hell was not. I lived this way from that moment I prayed with my mom for about 22 years until recently. About three years ago, some stuff happened in my life, quite a few things, most I wasn't a fan of, including some deep and reoccurring hurt, and through it all, I started to take to care a lot about my feelings. I started to store them up and put more locks so I wouldn't get hurt. I started to view those who would hurt me as moths and rust and thieves trying to destroy and steal what was becoming more and more precious to me. When this stuff I really valued was threatened, I fought for it and defended it and tried to preserve it. And in doing so, it became more and more of a treasure and my heart followed. I got hurt, I got upset, and in my treasuring of my own feelings and my desire to protect what I had stored up, I exchanged union with Jesus and my friends for a living hell. I had my feelings and I had my ideas of how I should be treated. And with it, I was lost. It damaged my relationship with God, and without knowing the details, like the extent of it, I'm certain it damaged my relationships with friends and the impression I left on all others. The repercussions are unknown and unknowable, but I will answer to Jesus for those years one day, and rightly so. There's some different ideas about whether or not once you have given your allegiance to Jesus, if you're able to take it back. I don't know for sure, but all I can say is where I got myself during that time scared me. It was a hell on earth, and I never want to go back there again. Uh, 
Over time, with a lot of prayer every day and a few really miserable conversations, I fought for those treasures to die. And for new ones to be stored in heaven. And as I've done so, my relationship with the Lord, my friends, and the world have come back to my life along with myself. And I have only Jesus to thank for his word and his spirit and the friends he's placed in my life. To store up treasures on earth is hell. To store them up in heaven is life. To trust them with Jesus is freedom. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is the best place to keep our treasure. He is the most trustworthy and most worth it. It is a wise thing to give them to him. And that can start tonight. So let's pray and we'll worship. And you guys can think through some of this stuff and We'll have some amazing stories over the next few months and years. God, thank you that you cared enough about us and our stuff to tell us where to store it and that we can trust you with our treasures and with our hearts and with our lives. God, we know you're good. I just pray, Lord, that you would Holy Spirit, show us some of the things that might be keeping us from being in full relationship with you and our friends and reaching our friends on this campus. We love you, God. You're worth it. Thank you so much, God, for being so kind to us. In your name we pray. Amen.